Welcome to Tamarindo Podcast. Hosted by me, Brenda Gonzalez, a political nerd and nonprofit capacity builder. And me, Ana Sheila Victorino, a queer well-being enthusiast and mindset coach. We are a Latinx empowerment podcast discussing politics, culture, and how to keep your calma with well-being practices and self-love. Welcome to the show. What's up? What's up, Tamarindo amigos? We are back. Brenda, it's nice to see you again. It's been a few weeks. Como andas? Yeah, well, welcome listeners to a traditional, for once, uh, episode of Tamarindo with both Brenda and Ana Sheila. I'm excited to be here. We, For our listeners, in case you haven't figured this out, we record a few days before you actually hear us. So today is November 2nd. And we, we're, there's so many Dia de los Muertos um, activities. And if you're watching us on Zoom, I've got my my flowers behind me. It's just a, a nice a nice couple of days of reflecting and thinking of our loved ones. So that's how I'm doing. How are you, Ana Sheila? Yeah, Brenda, I think it's a really, there's a lot of beauty in this time um, if we let ourselves see it. So yes, I'll agree with that. Um, I am doing well and, and I want to, I want to start off something I shared on the last episode, but I just want to reiterate for everyone that's listening. I want to reiterate that it's okay to also not be okay right now. And it's okay to also need to take care of yourself. And I bring this up again um, because I have a few coaching clients and they've really been struggling with feelings of hopelessness, of guilt, uh, of inability to get things done. So I wanna just touch on this one more time. And um, you know, I think it's really sad because what I feel like is a lot of companies or organizations are sending these like messages, but they are still expecting employees to just get all the same amount of yeah. t- done. And, and, so I just wanna- to be specific, we're referring to, I mean, there's so many things going on in the world, but yes. as, as, as we've shared in the last several episodes of what, what I think is top of mind for everyone is the incredible tragedy and loss of life that's happening in Gaza and just that, the, 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 the fact that we're watching genocide on our social media phones, I think is something that is taking a toll on everybody. So that is, that is what I imagine is what your clients are referring to. Is that right? Yes, 100%. So thank you for providing that context, Brenda. And it's funny because like, you know, like I go into these sessions and that's not necessarily what we're going to talk about. But then when I, you know, check in with them, do a little grounding exercise, that's really what comes up. And we end up spending so much time on that because they're not feeling really that taken care of in their organizations, you know? And so I just want to say this, this takes a toll on us, whether we acknowledge it or not. We can try to suppress it, but that doesn't mean it's not taking a physical toll on us and potentially emotional and mental toll on us. So... Um, yeah, I wanted to call that out and, and I want to share that while we may not be able to change certain things, it is really helpful y'all to talk about our feelings, to talk about what we're going through with others, to be in community and in compassion for each other. And I think that really sort of leads into our episode today. Yeah. Thanks for taking a moment to, to pause on that because, uh, we want you all listeners to know that just like you, this is top of mind. This is weighing heavily on us and it clouds everything that we do. I mean, we, we, we love this podcast. We approach it with such joy and it's been very challenging to even feel okay going with our program as usual because we do bring so much joy. And Anna Sheila reminded me that joy is, is, is important. So while you're feeling the heaviness and it doesn't take away from the pain that we're all collectively feeling at what we're watching, and, and the frustration about what seems to be a lack of compassion and action, 
we know that we're all feeling that. And at the same time, it is okay to to also experience joy. To, to You all probably celebrated Halloween. You might have made your altar for your loved ones. You might have listened to a new uh, musical artist on an episode of ours. You might have listened to some great stories on the last episode that we shared recently. It's okay to also allow yourself that joy. We are complex beings and we have multiple dimensions and feelings and all of these are okay. Yes. Thank you, Brenda. All right, y'all. Pues our guest today is Alejandra Campoverdi, the author of the memoir, First Gen. Alejandra Campoverdi has been a child on welfare, a White House aide to President Obama, a Harvard graduate, a gang member's girlfriend, and a candidate for U.S. Congress. And the book, part memoir, part manifesto, it's a story of generational inheritance, aspiration, and the true meaning of belonging, a gripping journey to reclaim the parts of ourselves we sacrifice in order to survive. And I really want to repeat that sentence because I really think it, it's, it sticks out. And I really think it's, it's what leads into, you know, what goes, what she talks about a lot in the book. It's reclaim the parts of ourselves we sacrifice in order to survive. And so how many of us have really sat to think about what we've sacrificed in order to survive um, as first gen, um, Alejandra Campoverdi, she describes this, the toll of being first gen as a trailblazer toll. Brenda, I know that you've been reading the book. What resonated with you personally? Well, um, I, it's been a fun read. I, I think that's number one, is that there, we, we've um, had the great pleasure of meeting a lot of people that have taken on the task of writing a memoir. And so every time I sit to read a memoir, it's like, okay, how is this one going to unfold? And I have to say that um, it took just a few pages to be like, oh, my God, give me more of the cheesemess. <laughs> you, you, will, you will read that um, it opens up with Alejandra taking, really soaking in this amazing opportunity to work at the White House and that amazing feeling being quickly challenged because of a... a past, a past picture of her appearing on Maxim. And I was like, give me the, give me the tea. So, <laughs> so it's a, it's a, it's really well written in that it captivates you. And, um, and it's very relatable. I'm only a little bit younger than Alejandra. So just thinking back to middle school and, and, uh, wearing eyeliner as lipstick. And, and, uh, I also had a crush on a cholo, you know, so <laughs> it was very, uh, the, the music that she refers to the way she paints the picture of her youth is the, you know, it's my generation as well. So I think that that was also has been really fun to just kind of step back and revisit that period in, in my time. And so you all, if you all are, I imagine that our listeners are a lot like us. So you are all about the same, around the same age. I think you will also find that, that, um, part of it exciting to read of Alejandra's story. So yeah, it's, I think folks will find it very relatable. So that's really what stuck out for me is that it's a fun read and the cheese just got, like, I'm like, I want to know what happens next. So, but um, I, I, I want to hear what you think as well. But since I brought up the subject of memoirs and, and cheese, I also just devoured Britney Spears's <laughs> memoirs. <laughs> so if you yes, all tell need, me about need, it. Yeah. If you all need some levity and well, I guess it's not levity. Honestly, it's not levity because it's quite tragic and sad. She was basically enslaved by her family as a uh, money making milk cow. Basically, it was really quite, quite horrible, but just 
just uh, similar to Alejandra's book, because Britney's also about our age. So just kind of going back to the, the times that we were listening to Britney Spears on the radio was when we were all like in high school or middle school. And she grew up with us and just... Uh, hearing her perspective of all of that has been fascinating as well. So get your memoirs. I love memoirs. So here's a couple that you can read right now. Yeah, I think for me, um, I think I, I love, well, I love folks that, um, again, are a bit older than us that are writing this, these, these memoirs um, because, you know, they've lived some things that, you know, we may have lived part of it or maybe are on the way to experiencing certain things. And it's, and it's been so helpful to see folks articulate things that you have sort of in a nebulous way in your mind and being like, oh yes, like that is the way that I would describe this toll. And and what she does is she does describe a number of different trailblazer tolls that I won't get into because um, we'll get into it in, in the interview, but it was just really helpful to see it articulated that way. Um, and, and it requires us, you know, reading these books, asking ourselves these questions. And so, and, and it's really helpful. And I think that's how I'm tying back to kind of how we open this up, this episode. It's so helpful y'all to re- remember that we are not alone in the experiences that we're having, that we are all experiencing a lot of similar things and that it's helpful to know Know that we're not alone. It's helpful to speak to other people and seek out other people and community that share these experiences. So with that, I would love to get into this conversation with Alejandra Campoverdi. Tamarindo amiguis. So I am so happy. I'm joined by Alejandra Campoverdi, the author of the memoir, First Gen. Thank you so much for being with us on Tamarindo. Thank you so much for having me. I love being here today. Yay. Um, okay, Mira. So I'm going to keep it real with you. I know you start your book like that. So I'm going to keep it real with you. <laughs> I mean, you know, I like to keep it real. So let's go. I believe we met several years ago when you were running for Congress and in LA. And, I, and you know, it took me a minute. We got to see each other a few months ago. And I was like, when did I meet her? And I was like, it was when she was running for Congress. And I remember these were my thoughts. And I remember thinking, wow, like this woman she's perfect. You know, she's so beautiful. She went to Harvard. She worked at the White House. She's running for Congress. She's so accomplished. And I just remember having these thoughts. And I remember, I mean, essentially I saw you as your highlights, right? And while this is all true, your book really focuses on why it's important to pay attention to what's behind or perhaps between or perhaps underneath the highlights, especially folks for folks that are first gen. And underneath are what you call the unacknowledged emotional tolls of being a trailblazer. And so before we get into to, to what you define those to be, I, I want to I actually know, like, how did you get to this point? Like, was there a specific moment or moments maybe that sort of opened the floodgates to really think about what you had been carrying all these years? Like, how did you start to recognize and, and articulate these tolls? I'm, I'm curious what this process was like for you. Well, thank you for sharing that. And you really hit the nose on the head about why this felt really important to say, not just for me, but for our community and all of us who at a certain point tend to kind of get distilled down to these bullet points on our resumes, you know, where we went to school, what we accomplished. And to the outside world, it looks really smooth and glossy and linear. 
and it doesn't look like you made mistakes. It doesn't look like you struggled in between those bullet points, but that's what this book is. It's the spaces between those bullet points. That was important to me. In a lot of ways, I kind of call it the anti-memoir because this is not about let's look at any sort of accomplished so much as accomplishment. It's, it's not so much about let's look at any sort of accomplishment so much as it is looking at what the road was like when you were trying to get there. And many times you gain and lose kind of at equal measure. So where this came to me and really became front and center was that I speak to a lot of young people. I go to a lot of colleges. It's always been important to me to do that. And I started noticing, and I talk about this in the book, being at the Latinx graduation at Harvard and noticing some looks on the students' faces that I had on my face when I would reach these different pinnacles and there'd be complicated, sometimes contradictory emotions. Because of a lot of our experiences, I call us first and onlys, a lot of our experience tends to kind of be glossed over and, and sometimes minimized in ourselves, definitely not always acknowledged by the outside world, but sometimes not even acknowledged in our own experience. At least that was the case for mm -hmm. me. So when I had the opportunity to write this book, I said, you know what, I'm going to write a book that's focused on that and what I call the trailblazer toll, which is the many times unacknowledged emotional toll of being a trailblazer. Yes. Um, well, I think the work is so important and I think it's really where we need to be centering right now. Um, I think given a lot of what I think our communities need. So I, I'm, I'm really grateful that that you wrote this book. Uh, I want to go into what are some of these components of the trailblazer toll? And, and there are eight that I, th I think you identify in the book and we won't get into all of them, but what are a few that you can share with folks? I know so many of our listeners, um, you know, whether in their 20s, 30s, 40s or, or beyond will resonate with at least one, if not all of these, right? Well, I first want to start by saying that, you know, I'm not a trauma expert yeah. or a psychologist, or, and I really make a point in the book to say that, you know, we're all experts of the first gen experience. I'm sure all your listeners could have written these tolls themselves. The idea is that we name them. You know, there's so much focus on imposter syndrome. And this is a comprehensive experience. It isn't just about imposter syndrome that in a lot of ways moves beyond our life, not just being a first-gen student, which is another flashpoint that people focus on a lot. So these eight that I look at that I'm going to tell you a little bit about right now aren't necessarily meant to be comprehensive. You know, there's, I'm sure, things that I didn't think of, and some people may relate to one or all of them, but the point is to talk about yeah. them. And that's what this book is, you know, a, a deep dive into starting to kind of like sift through our experiences, especially for those of us, to your point, that are in our 20s, 30s, 40s, and we're on the other side of the sausage maker and we look back and we're like, whoa, what happened? You know, I'm feeling all these mixed emotions mm -hmm. and, and some type of way about the things I went through. And, and I, I want to kind of look at that and maybe even heal from a lot of it. One of them that really jumps out is the first, which is invisible inheritances. And we've all kind of heard at this point about the idea of generational trauma, but not only trauma, like what are the cycles and the inheritances, negative, positive, you know, the ones that move through our families' lives that we many times are aware of some of them, but not all of them. So in the book, and one of the best compliments I received about the book is that in a review that it's a resource because in the back of the book, what I did is I included 
you know, a list of different kinds of modalities and things that have helped me that I referenced in the book, but also a blank genogram. And what a genogram is, it's a, basically an emotional family tree, a family tree, but of your emotional inheritances. Mm. And there's one, if you want to create one for your own family, because the idea is the relationship of between parents, between grandparents, between siblings, whether it could be love, it could be positive, or it could be control or manipulation or even neglect. So many different relationships and dynamics that predate us and figuring out what are the ones that we want to continue because they're positive. What are the ones we were born to disrupt, which sometimes those are easier to point at and many times, though, the positive and the negative ones are intertwined. You know, when I looked at mine, I realized that there were two generations of women in my family who had left abusive relationships when they were pregnant, which obviously is something to disrupt. But look at the fortitude it takes to be someone to leave an abusive relationship while you're pregnant. I mean, that is a, a grit and resilience that I'm proud of being in my lineage. And then the third part which is what are the invisible inheritances that we want to create? Because I say in the book, every day we have the choice to become a better ancestor. So how can we be intentional about our own ancestral inheritances? So that's the first one. And I'm just going to jump to the last one because I know I wish we could go through each and every one, but folks, the book is out. I'm going to take some notes, but yes. To go through it. Yeah. So the last one is breakaway guilt. And I know some of my my ladies and, and gentlemen who are on the other side of this may identify with this, which is when you've gone through this process, when you in many ways kind of world jumped throughout your life. And you can whether you come home from being away for years or you're coming home across the city to go home for Thanksgiving. And you realize, and it hits home continuously, that your life is really the only one that has materially changed. Mm-hmm. And what that feels like, and how that sometimes haunts us, how that sometimes creates a little guilt, how sometimes there may be some shame around it, or some separation, mm-hmm. you know, that we may feel from different people in our family, the idea of what are the right financial boundaries. Some people I've talked to feel like, They want to give financially to their family very regularly in order to meet meet the sacrifice that they made in order to make their life possible. Some people feel, you know what, I need to hold financial boundaries because I need to be able to save. I need to have financial stability and create that for my own family. There's no right or wrong answer, but how it is that coming home and even going on a vacation, I don't know if you've had this feeling. I've definitely gone to some beautiful places in my life and being, and then all of a sudden it hits you. I wish my mom could experience this, right? Mm-hmm. Other, other of our peers don't have those thoughts. Yeah. And so acknowledging that that's really normal and that we're all having those thoughts. Because when we think about the first gen experience, you know, I, I did a national poll that kind of predated this book by like about a month because I wanted to kind of look at some of these things that feel anecdotal that we're talking about, but we know that are widespread, but let's look at some data. And what I want to center here in this conversation is we obviously asked, you know, if what 
if it was a negative experience to have the first gen student experiences mm-hmm. for first gen students and 65% said yes. Yeah. Right. But the reasons were really interesting. Imposter syndrome, like I told you, I've always had a bone to pick with imposter syndrome because it's, again, I think a bit one dimensional, not that I don't believe it exists, but the way it's, it's kind of lobbed yes. at us, I think is unfair. 100% agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a crisis of confidence. Yeah. Um, but imposter syndrome was the last reason. The number one reason was financial trauma, mm-hmm. which not surprising, but the number two reason for this being such a negative experience for us was loneliness and isolation. And that's why I wrote the book. That's why I want to talk about these issues. And thank you for providing a platform here to talk to your listeners about it. Because that feeling of sometimes shame or guilt or loneliness or isolation of these feelings is part of what takes a toll on us. And it is so common. I see you nodding yeah. and that's all I see are nodding heads when we talk about this. So let's not feel like there's something wrong with us. Yeah. Let's be vulnerable enough to share this with each other. So we all feel less alone. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's wild how many folks like often think they are alone in these feelings. Right. And, and I think it's important, you know, to share with listeners is like most of the time you are not alone. <laughs> And what you were feeling, and and the and the first and way to to start to feel less alone is to start to have the create the space to be safe and being vulnerable with others, right? And and giving getting feeling that permission, and I think that you're helping give that permission también, you know. Well, vulnerability creates this connective tissue, and I learned this really young, and it's a story that I tell in the book about you know being in a nonprofit when I was a child. My mom had put me there. She had just come out of really chaotic relationship and was dealing with postpartum depression. And I was kind of on my own, right? That loneliness and isolation in this really pivotal time where your identity is just confusing. And they asked us to write a play because it was a nonprofit that used like the arts to help kids develop confidence. And I wrote a play And they performed it with professional actors at UCLA. Totally unbeknownst to me, the actress they had chosen to be in the play had just come off of doing the movie, What's Love Got to Do With It with Angela Bassett, right? Wow. And invited her to the play. I didn't know this. And so I'm walking through the audience like a kid and I feel a tap on my shoulder And I turned around and it's her just radiant and smiling and a superstar, you know, this energy that this woman exudes. And she says, you know, I just wanted to tell you that I I really identified personally with what you wrote. And my head kind of exploded as a kid, because how could she having such a different life have related to what I wrote? But that in a lot of ways was the impetus to, you know, my love of writing and creativity and also my, uh, my kind of the way I've been drawn to vulnerability as being a way to alchemize pain, right? As sharing these things, it makes us all feel less alone and it actually creates a community. And I'm not saying people have to write a book or have to go out and share painful parts of their lives publicly, but that vulnerability is our strength, especially as Latinos, 
You know, we, the energy, the humility, the vulnerability that our community has to wrap around each other is one of the most beautiful things of our community. Yet in this space, like how can we be a little more vulnerable to each other? Because we, we want to believe that we have it all together. There's that saying, when you're skating over thin ice, your speed is your safety. You know, when you're first and only, a lot of this feels like you have to keep moving and move fast because that that ice is crumbling under your feet if you wait, if you stay too long. You won't be the one to change everything, a break cycles of, of breaking into new social classes. It feels like there's this time ticker. But taking a moment and realizing how many of us are walking beside each other in this experience, that makes a big difference because many times we don't get that validation from our families. That's what I talk about in the book too. I mean, there's so many things that I want to comment on that, that you just shared. So I'm really grateful. I'm, I'm so grateful because our listeners are getting so many gems. But I think something I wanted to share that came up right now was that I remember the freedom I found in finally letting myself be more vulnerable and taking off the mask of perfectionism, right? And and I also, I you know, I went I went to Stanford, and I think from a very young age, I, I um, you know started to feel like I you know I went to Stanford. I need to everyone everyone is expecting me. This is what people expect of someone that went to Stanford, right? And so the freedom and and being able like to be vulnerable and share like that doesn't mean I have my shit together, <laughs> you know, like that doesn't mean I always have my shit together. Um, it may mean a few things, but there's a lot of things it does not mean. And and the and I remember uh, many years, like several years ago, asking you know, ch- catching up with somebody, and asking them you know, like how are you doing? And they basically like said like I don't know what I'm doing. It was kind of their response. And like having someone say that back to me, like I remember it being. I'm like wow, like it's okay to say that. And I felt so seen by them admitting saying that to me that it started to allow me to take back the fullness of of who I am that is a complex being that some on some days has their shit together and on Sundays does not. <laughs> right. And that that is okay. And I'm just as beautiful <laughs> when I do or when I don't. Well, you're, you're touching on two very big things and yeah. in, in our community is the perfectionism and the pressure. Yeah. Right? right. The pressure is immense. I mean, I, I talk a lot about mental health in this yeah. book because that pressure is why I developed a pretty acute panic disorder as a child. And I kind of take you through how it moved through my life. And by the time I was in college, almost derailed my capacity to finish college. And when mental health issues on average start around 14, and you think about our community being the first to go to college in many ways, it looks like there's an answer there about why, even though we're a third of college students, only 90%, 90% don't graduate on time. Yeah. Right? Because there's something going on during that time. And a lot of it is mental and emotional health. But the perfectionism, I want to pull on yeah. that thread a little bit, because many times, again, that's not to take away from the beauty and the, the grit that leads to this overachieving and being the one that believes 
beyond any doubt, against all odds, that you're going to be the one to break these cycles. I mean, that's just a beautiful light that our community carries. And many times, again, intertwined, there's both sides of the coin, that perfectionism can be a coping mechanism to some trauma in our childhood and some dynamics of not being supported. One of the trailblazer tools is the idea of being a parentified child. And many times we even minimize it to ourselves. You know, I remember seeing in Encanto a lot of conversations about, you know, that surface pressure yeah. song and everyone really relating yeah. to feeling like you're doing all the emotional and physical labor for your family. But I remember thinking like, let's not minimize it as eldest daughter duties. This is actually parentification is an invisible childhood trauma that can lead to people pleasing tendencies or hypervigilance and, and, you know, and a lot of that pressure that we're talking about and a lot of this mental health piece. And that's not to point fingers at our family or to blame anyone, because I know I'll speak for myself. People are doing the best they could. And I and that's it's not about that, but it doesn't betray our families to acknowledge some of our experiences and to see that that perfectionism and that drive, you know, there has to be a point where it also gets to balance. Mm-hmm. Otherwise. We start achieving, we keep achieving, we keep achieving. But again, our personal and our professional lives can feel out of whack. Yes. I know that was a big moment for me to examine that and to look at, you know, okay, when does it feel like it's enough? You know, when do you allow yourself that luxury and privilege and cycle breaking of having that ability to be able to rest? Yes, yes, yes. And I think that really, I'll share really quickly, I actually suffered from performance anxiety, a lot of anxiety, you know, so I resonate with with your speaking about panic attacks, to the point that I couldn't speak in front of public of of a public. And I think it was very much related to this perfectionism that I grew up with. And the podcast actually helped me to start to and other things really slowly pushing me in healing from what really became a paralyzing fear. And it was so rooted in perfectionism and shame that I think, you know, we can trace to a lot of things that, that you're talking about. So I think this is a really important topic. Um, but I think what you were starting to uh, get to right now is, is something you, you talk about in the book about being able to celebrate who you are um, versus what you've accomplished. Right. And I think um, I have noticed and this is a, true for me and 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 and. Um, and, and perhaps you too, is is how when you get stuck in this cycle of overachievement and perfection and all these things, you start to associate that worth with accolades. And then it, it does feel like you're in this loop of searching for that next accolade in order to to feel validated and, and, and never feeling en- enough. And I've seen it with friends that are my age still that are so successful on paper, um, but some of them have, you know, more issues with self-worth and fulfillment and and self-love than folks that maybe are less successful on paper. It's Well, that's why this work is so important, you know, and I don't say this because I have it all figured out because I don't. And I say that in the book, you know, I'm on my own journey like everyone else, but that's why, especially for first and only those of us that are first gen, it's so important to do this work because, you know, we can get out of whack you know, we we can kind of break through these glass ceilings like everyone tells us to, but not acknowledge the truth, which is there's shards of glass coming down all around us. And usually we're the only ones cleaning them up. Yeah. And when 
many times, especially with the parentification part, we've shoved down our feelings repeatedly kind of to the benefit of keeping the peace or being the little adult or being the perfect one who has no feelings. I don't know about you, but for me, that definitely, I thought that kind of not rocking the cart ever with any of my feelings was a way to be a good girl, a good X, Y, Z, whatever that was. And actually calling on what those experiences are and those feelings were, was a big part of my healing but it's an ongoing process, an ongoing you know, it's an ongoing process to be intentional. And honestly, the first step is this one, Yes, you know, there's no, I don't come to some big conclusion at the end. Sorry to break the, break the ending for people who haven't read it, but there is no big conclusion of how to fix all this. The conclusion is to acknowledge this in ourselves and to stop abandoning ourselves by disavowing the truth of our own experiences yes and taking the pressure to for the goal to be maybe to have it all figured out you know I I think I love what you said about can we just every day you know try to be a better ancestor and that doesn't mean Mm -hmm. being perfect it doesn't mean having it figured out it starts with understanding ourselves and, and I also really love about when you talk, when you're talking about um, invisible in, in inheritances, right? Well, what I experienced in high school around this perfectionism as a coping mechanism is the more kind of chaotic one of my relationships were. And, and I take you kind of into this puppy love in my high school years. And it was very chaotic. And the more hot and cold it was, the higher my grades would go. The more pain I was in, the higher my grades would go. And you can see how it can be a way of kind of trying to feel some sense of control in your Mm -hmm. life by doing, by kind of overachieving, like we're talking about. But I say in the book really clearly, to your point, my goal is to not be a healing perfectionist because that's another slippery slope. Like it's real that we can go from like, okay, now I'm going to heal. I'm going to be the most perfect healer in the whole world. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to eat this. I'm going to go here. I'm going to, and that's, what is that? That's pressure yes. all over to do it exactly right. So what does it look like to give us grace for once? Give ourselves grace. Yes, we all deserve that. Um, so I, and I think one of the things I love about your book is that whether you're Gen Z um, and just starting sort of your trailblazer journey or a millennial or, or older, and perhaps just finding the words for what you've felt for many years, you can take something from for, from this book. And so I, I want to ask you, if you were to give like one final message, someone who was first gen, um, you know, a trailblazer, um, maybe someone in their 20s, a, a millennial in their 30s or someone in their 40s, what would you say? And, and, would, and does the message look different? It doesn't look different depending on where you are, because as we all know, we all figure out at different points. And if this can mark the trees for someone in their 20s, amazing. But, you know, we I some of this stuff came together for me only in the last five years. So we're all in different points of our journey. But the overarching message that I would say is for many for many of us as first and only, we feel the pressure to bridge a lot of different things in our lives, the responsibility to bridge different dynamics and culture, ethnicity, communities, 
generations, you know, we're kind of in the middle and we're trying to get it perfect. You know, you lean too far this way and maybe you're called a sellout or people say you've changed, but you go too far this way and you feel like you're perpetuating a cycle or you're an outsider. It feels like this impossible kind of juggling act. And what I would say is that there is no action in what it is that we need to do as first and onlys. We already exist as the bridge. We don't have to actively try to bridge two things. We exist as a bridge. We Those two things live in us without any, any action on our part. Our place is to exist as those two things as unapologetically as possible. To understand that we can have our Nike Cortez next to our heels and, and our loafers in the closet and not have to explain, not have to feel that we're have to be this way in this space or that way in that space to be contradictory and like proudly contradictory. I don't feel the responsibility to make myself make sense to anyone anymore. I did for many years. And I think when we get to that place where we're like, I don't care if I make sense to you because I can be all these things together, but just be it loudly. So if, if people walk away with that message, then, you know, I, I, I did my job as a writer. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, I want to give time for our rapid fire questions or matraca, basura, and calma. So I want to ask you, Alejandra, what are you giving your matraca to this week? What are you celebrating? So I'm celebrating this week that as of now, officially, First Gen is going to be translated into Spanish, which was really important to me. You know, not I, I didn't take it for granted that that would happen, you know, for those that don't know how this works, you know, not every book is translated to Spanish, but, you know, my, I'm Mexican-American. The first chapter of this book is set in mostly Mexico, and it was really important to me for this to be accessible to our community. So I'm really happy That's about wonderful. that. That's wonderful. Matraca to that. Um, okay. And then what's getting your, what's going in the basura for you? This is a literal and a figurative basura, which is... I did not get any trick-or-treaters and I have the biggest bucket of candy in my house that I have been eating from nonstop and it needs to go in the basura. I haven't done it yet, but I think I'm going to do it after we hang oh, up today. So no one came to your house? No one came. Oh no, that's my fear. But that's happened to, to me. Like, it I really did. And I, I went for a walk that afternoon and kind of looked around and Maybe I need to decorate yeah, more. Put a big sign know. for next year. <laughs> so you're like free candy. Oh, Eat it so I don't. Okay. Well, hopefully next year you get some some trick or treaters. Um, I hope so. Guys, I'm gonna take the bucket. I'm just gonna walk around and be like, you know what? You could do that. That that would be an unexpected surprise. People are not expecting. It may scare some parents though. Like, who is this woman coming by and being like, please take my candy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is a little weird actually. Um, all right. And then lastly, what is giving you calma right now? What is helping keep you grounded? So what's keeping me grounded is that, you know, I kind of tacked on to my book tour for first gen, a college tour, because even though to your point, those of us in our thirties and forties and so on could relate to these themes in a lot of ways. If I could help someone connect these dots quicker than I did, especially when they're in the college years that are you know, really tenuous, I really, I want to do that. It's important to me. So I've been going to colleges across the country. I'm about to embark on another two week kind of across the country um, trip. 
And being with these young people and hearing their stories and hearing just, it's heartwarming, it's heartbreaking, and it's inspiring. And that's what's grounding me. Those hugs, those conversations, sometimes those tears, but they're tears I want to believe of release and relief. Yes. And that's when, you know, taking it full circle to that vulnerability part and that connection part. You know, there's a reason why these topics bring tears to our eyes. You know, when when we feel seen, that's what happens. And, you know, that's the best part of this for me so far. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm feeling all the feels that I resonate with that deeply. Um, well, I just want to give you one, uh, an opportunity to tell folks where to follow you, where to find you, what you have coming up. Um, I you talk about your book, anything you want to you want to share to close this out. Yeah. Um, my handle is the same on Instagram and, and so on. It's a Campo Verde and I'm totally in my DMS and on LinkedIn. So if anyone wants to share what resonated with the book, if you pick up the book or have any follow-up questions, send me a message, tag me on your post. I love to hear what connects with folks about the book. And, you know, on my Instagram, I have a list of the different places I'm going. So I'm still on book tour and we'll be going into the next year. So come see me too. I'd love to see folks and talk about this topic in person. Wonderful. So y'all heard you can catch Alejandra live, hopefully in a city near you. Alejandra, I want to thank you so much for your time, for your book. Yeah, I really appreciate your work. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for holding this space for this important conversation. We hope y'all enjoyed that conversation. And like I said, at the very least, feel a little less alone in what you're sharing and have community around you. So let's head right into our matracas, masuras, and calmas. And, and I'll give it a start. Um, so my matraca this week, um, you know, I, I have to say, this is, these have been some, some, I've been struggling for the last few months in, in a few different ways, um, you know, both personally and also with what's happening in the world. But Again, as, as Brenda shared earlier in the episode, I'm, I'm so I'm always looking for how I can still bring in joy into my life. And I have to say, I love a spooky season. It's my favorite time of the year. And I've really had such a rich a spooky season. And I just want to give a shout out to a few of the things that I got to do this season. Um, I feel really fulfilled with my spooky season. Um, I got to do a really wonderful um, pumpkin patch with my little nieces. And it is such a joy to get to do these, go to these pumpkin patches when you have little, little ones in, in your life. So that gave me so much joy. Um, I got to go finally, um, well into my 30s to uh, Halloween Horror Nights. I had never been. And um, I don't know how you are with scary things, Brenda, but for some reason, I cannot watch scary movies. They're too scary for me. They give me nightmares. And I don't know if I've talked about this already, but I can go to physical haunted houses or these kinds of things where people are dressed up and there's mazes and people are spooked. And I find that really fun. Do you, how do you, how are you with scary things, Brenda? I've only gone once to Not Scary Farm and I was like, you know what? I don't need to do that again. That was cool. One and, one and done. And I find these things very expensive, but I'm glad that, that folks enjoy it. I'm glad that it, it works for you. For me, it just doesn't add up. <laughs> it's so, it's yeah. so expensive for such little time to just be touched by strangers. <laughs> so, so I'm a pass. They don't touch I'm you. They can't, they can't touch you. Or I don't know what you said, but they, can, they cannot touch you. <laughs> when I went, it was many years ago. But yes, oh, okay. um, I'm, a, I'm, a no. they, I'm a hard no. That's a no for gotcha. me. And about scary movies, to me, I really like um, 
movies that are, I guess, more psychological scary. So I love The Witch. The Witch Thrillers. is one of my favorite scary movies. Midsummer will freaking haunt you for the rest of your life. That one's really good. Um, I don't know if this one counts, but on Netflix, there's this movie called El Conde, which is fascinating. It's about, it, it's thinking about uh, Pinochet, the dictator in Chile, as as Dracula. It's fascinating. So these are the sort of movies that I like. I don't like the traditional scary movies. Gotcha. Yeah, I love Halloween Horror Nights. Well, I, for the first time, but I, I've gone to other so, sort of smaller scale. But the production value is so high, Brenda. I mean, I just love different the creation of different worlds. Like I actually also love Disneyland. I love Universal Studios, period. I love kind of these fantasy worlds that are created where you really feel like you're stepping in to a different world. So I love that they do that. This It's Universal Studios. So very, very high production value. I like the adrenaline. Yeah, it's super fun for me. It's um, yeah, and 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 sadly, I feel like it's less scary than the real world. <laughs> well, that's so, for sure. That's probably why that stuff is so popular because it is a pause from the horrors that is the real world of like real world. Um, oh, and then what else? Este, I got to dress up for Halloween only one time, but I still did it, and I freaking loved my costume, y'all. I was a taquero. And so I had a little, like, I had a little taquero outfit, like a bloody kind of like a dead taquero. And then I had a little table, um, sort of like the cutting board, essentially, that was attached to me, which I think was a crucial. I had some tortillas. I had a fake knife. And then um, my girlfriend, um, she had a dress on and she, like, basically had some yarn that kind of looked like tripas. And she glued <laughs> it. She super glued it onto her dress. Like, and it looks like the 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 the, um, the shape of tripas, like, on her actual body, right? But then she had some como colgando, like, loose. So what we would do is we would, like, grab the tripas that were kind of loose, put it on my cutting board, and then, like, offer uh, people, like, tacos de tripa. And it. it was so fun. So creative. Um, did you all like co-conspire for this and you build it yourself? Yeah, we did it. We did it by ourselves and we had a different. Initially, she was going to be al pastor, but then we like came up with this and it ended up being so much better because we could actually sort of like actively sort of pretend to cut the tripa. So it was so much fun. <laughs> yes, that sounds yeah. great. I love a, I love a costume that is unique, creative, that you make yourself. So I love that. Yeah. And if folks follow me on Instagram, you saw that I was a uh, character from the 1980s movie Spaceballs. And my costume, I did make my costume between me and Jeff. I made it myself, but Jeff had to store by his his costume. So it was a, a little bit of a combo. But I, I love Halloween. I love making a costume. Yeah, you actually I feel like you have really good costumes, too, Brenda. I feel like we're both pr pretty good independently on, on our on our when we do dress up on, on costumes. Yes. And then lastly, yesterday, and actually I was going to text you about this, Brenda, but I got locked out of my apartment, so I didn't have my phone. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but that's, that's I went Anna to... That's Shayla moment. No. <laughs> um, yeah, it wasn't my fault. But anyways, um, I went to Plaza de la Raza last night for the Dia de los oh, Muertos I celebration. Oh, I love it. I went there last and year. It, it's beautiful. It's in your neighborhood, so yes. I meant to text you, but it was it was really wonderful. So that those are those are my Halloween spooky season just fall activities. But it took a while on that. But uh, Brenda, what do you have? To, what what are you giving your matraca? Well, I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity because it does give me joy is to mention once again the fantastic retreat that I'm planning with Delcy Sandoval, the Encuentro retreat happening February 15th through the 19th in Puebla. I'm mentioning it now because 
um, we the deadline has passed for folks to take advantage of the $1,600 rate. So the next tier rate is $1,800. It's still a tremendous value because you have four nights at this incredible hotel. That in and of itself would cost you so much here in the States. So gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous hotel. We're going to have yoga. We're going to have meditation. We're going to have hiking. We're going to go to three different places, Cholula, Puebla, Tepoztlan, all your food, all your transportation while you're there. The only thing that you have to pay in addition to the 1800 is your flight to get there and the transportation from the airport to the hotel. If you all have questions, you can contact me directly at brenda at tamarindopodcast.com or go to tamarindopodcast.com forward slash encuentro for all the details. That's what's giving me super matraca joy. Beautiful. All right. So my basura. Um, so I read this art, this uh, headline, I think yesterday or so, but dozens or a few days ago, dozens of states sue Instagram parent Meta over addictive features and youth mental health harms. So the AG for New York, Letitia James, who I'll have to give a matraca to on another episode, she joins 33 attorney generals in a lawsuit against Meta who says, and she says, has profited from children's pain by intentionally designing its platforms with manipulative features that make children addicted to their platforms while lowering their self-esteem. Social media companies, including Meta, have contributed to a national youth mental health crisis and they must be held accountable. Um, the lawsuit accuses Meta of violating a range, to so get really specific, a range of state-based consumer protection statuses, as well as a federal children's privacy law known as COPA, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, <laughs> that prohibits companies from collecting the personal information of children under 13 without a parent's consent. So, I mean, I think this just, I'm just putting this on us. I mean, I think we know this, we've known this, but it just highlights um, what a serious issue this is. I don't think this is just, this just applies to children. I think that um, very much applies to adults in terms of the addiction and the effect on adult self-esteem as well. But I think, you know, um, you know, it's calling out children because they are more vulnerable. They might not have uh, resources as available to, to work through some of the, the, the issues that, that, that happen as a result of um, what social media does to, to folks. So it's, you know, there's no, I don't know what the answer is. Um, so I'm not, we're not going to ex explore that right now, but just, yeah, it's just, it's hard. I feel like we are in a very vulnerable time in terms of mental health, in terms of loneliness. Like these are real epidemics that actual require epidemics, real, mm -hmm. yeah, that require real change um, from, from, from everyone, but of course at, at, at the policy level. So I just, it's something that's really important to, to be paying attention to y'all. And um, I don't know, Brenda, if you want to add anything yeah, to that. Yeah, so to but. be clear, the basura is to the practice of Facebook. The matraca is to Letitia James, who's going to try to get their asses. So yes, absolutely. It's it's trash. And, and I think that's the, you're, you're pointing to like, what can we do? Well, it looks like there's somebody doing something about it. So I guess we could champion more of these sorts of practices and just any, any celebrating any time leaders can step up and hold these companies accountable. So absolutely agree with you that this behavior is basura. Yeah. Um, Brenda, what about your basura? Well, you know, sometimes we balance it out. There's like a real serious basura and then there's just like a silly one. So here's my silly one. Um, I wish that there was like some sort of service that could, without me doing anything, just know all of my friends like the calendars of all of my friends and just say, hey, Brenda, you want to hang out with these three people? It's going to work on Thursday, November, whatever. Because it has been a pain in my ass to schedule things. Where it's like, if there's even, if, if there's more than two people trying to get together to find that alignment of when the three of you are available, 
is a pain in the ass. <laughs> I'm, I'm sick of scheduling. So basura goes to scheduling. I, I'm ready for the microchip. Like get in my fucking brain. If I don't have to do shit and you can plan a time for me to hang out with my friends that works for everybody without me having to go back and forth and texting people, please get that microchip in my brain. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I f yeah. Scheduling is a pain and it does feel like it's getting harder. I feel like it's exceptionally hard for folks um, a, uh, that live in L.A., because of there's just so much that goes into our constraints of, of actually getting together. And we just have so many plans. Yeah, I, I feel that I that I would love the, something like that, something like yes. that. Yeah, you're right. It is. It seems magnified in L.A. because you always have to factor traffic. Like if you're my friend on the West Side, God bless you. I will never see you again. You know, if you have a kid, I'll never see you again. It's never going to happen. Adios. Right. So you know, <laughs> one thing that I've been I've been doing is like, um, when I like would like to see more than one person is like having an event that I'm going to go to. And then just like, if there's people that I've been like trying to get together and it's been hard to be like, Hey, I'm going to this. If you want to go, like we can actually meet up, like, you know, and just whoever comes through, comes through like seeing, yeah, seeing, seeing pressure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. What's your calma, Nashela? My cal my calma again. I don't know if I've already shared this with y'all, but I'm gonna share it again. Um, Playing salsa music in the mornings has been giving me a lot of calma. I'm always looking for like what things help my morning feel better, give me more joy. And just salsa music, like there's it, you can't help, at least me, can't help but feel happy when I listen to, to salsa music. And I just, it makes me also feel more grateful to be, you know, I'm not where, I'm not Puerto Rican, I'm, I'm Mexican, but just like the, I think we, you know, Spanish music, a lot of from different countries, it still gives us a lot of joy. And I just feel so connected to salsa. And I just feel grateful that it's a music that just, you know, feels so connected to my heart and my soul. So, so salsa music in the mornings. Yes, yeah. that sounds awesome. I could see that bringing a lot of calma. My cal calma is just the adventurous spirit of, of my parents. They are currently in Spain. They have rented a car and are going to like I mean, every city that you can think of in northern Spain, just like going for it and driving in a, in a country that they don't know, but it's better than our country. And it speaks they speak Spanish, so it's easier to get around. But I'm just I'm always so I'm so grateful because we know that there's always an expiration date to when our family and parents and loved ones are healthy and active and able to be around. So I'm just very, very appreciative to see them have each other and to be able to explore the world and, and just really, really taking retirement by the horn. So, so that's what's giving me calma. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that, Brenda. I, I feel that very hard with my family as well. Um, all right, y'all. Pues that's our episode. We hope y'all enjoyed it. And we hope que se cuiden, que estén bien, as well as possible. We love y'all. Yes. Chao. Pon tu suéter. Tamarindo Podcast is Brenda Gonzalez and Ana Sheila Victorino with production support by Karina Riverall of Sonoro Media. Jeff Ricards produced our theme song. To learn more about us and get in touch, go to tamarindopodcast.com. Sonoro. 
Are you ready to turn your best ideas into a thriving online business? Introducing Shopify, your no-excuses business partner. You might not realize, but our podcast, More Than Mammies, it's a business. And we started it, of course, to talk about maternity, not to become an e-commerce expert. So yeah, we needed some help selling our merch and getting our store up and running. Another sale. Shopify is a commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. No matter if you are a garage entrepreneur or a big business, Shopify is the only tool you need to start and grow your business without the struggle. With Shopify single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere, giving you the insights you need wherever you are. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash sonoro or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash sonoro to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash sonoro. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.